for the last two weeks as Faye and I were down in Texas, we attended we attended church with my dad and my brother's family. We went to a church we're familiar with for the last 30 years. We've been visiting that church every year or two down in uh, Temple, Texas, Canyon Creek Baptist Church. And, and I, I've heard the timing before, but now I experienced it. You enjoy a wonderful service, and then we pack dad in the truck, and we bring him home to the acreage, and we get in the house just in time to tune in. They always have the, the television tuned to Troshu Baptist Church. And we were able to catch, usually right at this time in the service, the praise and prayer time. We would get in and then be able to hear Pastor Dave share, and we appreciate the work he did for us. And uh, it's just wonderful to be here with you now. As Dave and I were talking about since Easter time, that during this special season in the history of the church, that season between the holidays of Passover and Pentecost, uh, the church took that important season from their the foundational faith of Judaism, and they made it an important time of religious observance and building their faith as well. During this season, Dave and I, we've been talking from Scripture about the interior life of believers. We looked at those things that when you think about it, you see expressions of them on the outside, but they really go on inside of us. We talked about these three remain, faith, hope, and love. You see the expressions of my faith, but my faith is on the inside. So is my hope, and so is my love. Hopefully, you express your love to those around you as well as to the Lord, but that's something that begins in the heart on the inside. Well, following up on that today, I want to look at something else that is on the inside and has to do something in our hearts and in our minds. It's something that we struggle with in this age as never before. If I had to Give this time that we live in a name. Like people have talked about the the information age, the industrial age, all of these great advances in humanity. What would I call today? I think we'd call it the age of uncertainty. Because so much that we used to take for granted, so much that was foundational in life has been thrown out the window and you are told that nothing is true anymore. You can't believe anything. They're even questioning your humanity, your basic biology. They're confusing kids to the point through the internet and through their phones that a quarter of them don't know if they're male or female anymore. And those numbers are rising as, as, the, uh, as the emotional and mental uh, disturbance is just increasing. It's like a virus spreading. But that's not all. What next coming down the pike, as you see more and more in the media, is artificial intelligence. You don't know if somebody contacts you if they're human or not. I've been in those chat things where you're trying to get help online and it goes to go to our support staff and so you type and they say, hello, how are you? And, and, and it's talking to you like a human. It's typing to you, but it's just an algorithm. It's just a computer. And it, you can't tell the difference. Is it human or is it a computer? Well, now with artificial intelligence and deep fake technology you can see a video of somebody their voice perfectly emulated you don't know if it's true or not the old saying that you can believe your eyes isn't true anymore it's an age of uncertainty every time my phone rings at home my cell phone more and more but always with our landline the vast majority of the calls you get on your landline are what They're scams. They're scams. 
Did you ever think you'd live in a time where the phone rings and it's somebody lying to you, trying to defraud you of your money right in your own home? I remember it wasn't that long ago, the phone rang in the middle of the night, and as a pastor, it gets your heart beating a little quicker because you're, you're, you're always concerned that it's trouble for one of the people in the church family. So I snatched the phone up, hello, hello, and it was my grandson calling. I said, Grandpa, I'm in trouble. I'm in jail, and I need your help. Isaiah is looking back and forth because he doesn't remember that. Well, of course, because it wasn't Isaiah. It was somebody from the sound of their voice. Number one, they were about my age. And number two, number two, they had a deep South accent. Grandpa, I'm in so much trouble. I need help. Why would they do that? Because many of us, if they, they do it over and over until they catch somebody like me, a senior whose hearing isn't what it once was who is praying for their grandchild and the fact that they're in jail doesn't surprise us. Not with Isaiah, but, you know. <laughs> but they do that, and, and they say, send money quick, and oh, they grab and they send money, they e-transfer it. And they wouldn't do these things if they didn't catch us. Well, it's easy to call us gullible people, but it's, I prefer trusting people. Once upon a time, that was a compliment. Now, People shake their heads and think that you're just gullible. Because this is an age of uncertainty. You can't trust anything or anyone. Everything's up for grabs. You know, Pastor Dave, it was, it was sweet of him to try to, you know, do a historical thing. I know it's not his. I said, Dave, talk about, talk about Shackleton. Who? Okay, do your best. <laughs> but I love the lessons of history. If you know me, you know that. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things was just reading history and cultures and nature. You thought you could trust these books. But over time, you realize that the history taught you is often uncertain. Not only do we live in an age where you can't trust elections, you can't trust the news, you can't trust anything, you can't trust doctors. Because after the big event that just went on in the world happens... Then they admit, yeah, we, we purposely lied because we wanted to control the response. You know, who can you trust? Well, in history, look at this. Who can you trust if not the National Geographic magazine? That magazine that we all grew up with, there it was. It's been around for over a century. And, you know, I don't think I ever subscribed to it, but I love to find in garage sales big stacks of it. My, my wife's grandfather used to cut it up and then rebind them, the articles in books. This one's on archaeology. This one's on Africa. This one's on different historical things. National Geographic in 1909 were the number one supporters of Robert Perry's attempt to be the first man cross the ice to reach the North Pole, 1909. And they publicized his accomplishments Now, at the same time, if you know your history of the Arctic exploration, there were two men claimed to reach the North Pole to be first. One was a man named Frederick Cook, German extraction, an explorer, and a con man. And the other one was Robert Perry, who had tried multiple times, but he struggled with navigation. In the previous year, before 1909, his previous expedition, after 100 miles, he found that he was 30 miles off course. And then suddenly, a year later, he claims he went almost 500 miles and was only four miles off course. 
bang on, he hit the North Pole. It was hard. It was dangerous. But now, over about a century later, the National Geographic has admitted in Perry's personal diaries of support of the fact that he wasn't even close to the North Pole. That it was all a fraud. He didn't want to be seen as a failure, and so he changed everything. Even the people who went with him, he kept it secret from them. He, he never told them they were at the North Pole, and they only found out they reached it later because he said they did. You know that the first person legitimately to reach the North Pole, you know their name? We don't even know. It wasn't Cook. It wasn't Perry. It wasn't Amundsen. Those guys flew over the North Pole. It was a guy named Ralph. Not our Ralph. It was a guy named Ralph Plainstead, an insurance salesman from Minnesota, was the first person to reach the North Pole. Ralph Plainstead. That's Ralph He was an early adopter in the early 60s of this new Canadian invention from Bombardier, the Skidoo. And he, as a publicity stunt with Skidoo, took Bombardier's son, Jean-Luc Bombardier, and they put together a four-man group, and they took Skidoo's to the North Pole. And they had military planes fly over with the navigation equipment to say, yes, you guys are at the North Pole. 1968 first to the North Pole. Isn't that incredible? You can't trust what history taught. What about trusting financial advisors? I've got a financial advisor. We, we trust her. We entrust management of some of our money to her. Well, financial advisors, in 1921, there was an immigrant from Italy named Charles Ponzi. He had this great incredible opportunity the next slide shows charles ponzi he was that dapper gentleman with the straw hat and and you know he was giving people 50 percent return on their investment after 90 days then he lowered it to 45 days people signed up in droves he'd invented the pyramid scheme the pyramid scheme hasn't gone anywhere a few years ago earlier part of this millennium bernie madoff his asset wealth management company turned out to be an enormous pyramid scheme. Bernie Madoff stole $18 billion from his investors. Who can you trust? Fortunately, $14 billion of those were returned to the investors over time. There's still about $4 billion. That's $4,000 million that they got away with. Who can you trust? Well, when you trust... You entrust something to somebody. When you entrust yourself to, for instance, a sports team, you, you give them your, your heart because you're cheering for them and you identify the. Who can you trust if not your sports teams? Well, in 1919, you remember the Black Sox scandal. They made a movie about it called Eight Men Out where gamblers bribed members of the Chicago White Sox to throw the World Series. This World Series that they were the exorbitant favorites. The gamblers paid the White Sox, including that picture, Shoeless Joe Jackson, to throw the series to the Philadelphia Athletics, a team that was enormous underdogs. Now all came out in court, and the men were shamed and, and gambling. Well, they tried to clean up the sport. No more gambling on baseball. Pete Rose found out about that when he was suspended for life from any contact with baseball. But then, you know, just as people forgive and forget and entrust themselves to their teams again, what happens in the 80s and 90s? The steroid era. 
Look at the steroids. You remember uh, how excited we were as Canadians when Ben Johnson, looking over his shoulder at that evil American Carl Lewis, ha ha, take that USA. (laughs) And then we found out he did it on steroids and he lost the gold medal. Lance Armstrong, what a story. Come back from cancer to win Tour de France after Tour de France. Perhaps the most difficult athletic achievement of all time. Not steroids, but a very high-level type of cheating called blood doping. He and his team took part in that. Well, then back to baseball. We have Barry Maguire, or, or Mark McGuire, rather, and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds, all famous cheaters and steroids. Babe Ruth's record of 60 home runs in a season. Well, Barry Bonds hit 75, but nobody cares because he cheated. And you will not see these men in the baseball hall of fame. Age of uncertainty. I've painted a pretty bleak picture today. The Bible gives us one that we can trust. There's an old hymn called Only Trust Him. It used to be sung by used to be sung by Dwight Moody's song leader, Charles Sankey, Only Trust Him. And it was at the conclusion of those evangelistic services, trust Jesus for your salvation. But it's not just for your salvation, friends. I believe we need to trust in Christ in all areas of our lives. Scripture tells us that if you put your trust in anything but God, you will be disappointed. You will be betrayed. Because that's the difference between trust and faith, as we talked about faith, hope, and love. Trust is part of faith. But faith, I do it with my mind. I agree mentally with something. I believe it. I believe it. But trust goes further, doesn't it? You entrust yourself, your heart. You trust your spouse. You've given them your heart, your life. And if they betray that trust, it's a pain like no other. The world's full of things that we put our trust in that disappoint us every day. I call those things broken trust. Broken trust. Things that let you down things that just gut you when it happens. Many people in the West, we talked about it in Sunday school, we are a culture that is addicted to comfort. And our comfort, we believe, comes from financial security. Those things that we put our trust in that let us down, one of them, of course, Scripture says very clearly, is wealth and riches. In the book of Job, Job says this, If I have put my trust in gold are said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, then these also would be sins to be judged. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. Job says that when you put your trust in your finances, in your bank account, in the here and now, you're denying putting your trust in God. You're entrusting yourself to wealth. And it always, always lets us down. Well, we do that as individuals and as nations, but one thing we nations have always trusted is strength. We live in a sinful world. Nation fights against nation. How about putting our, putting our trust, the Bible says, into military strength? Well, we know that has never, has never worked. Scripture says in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. So you see those great military parades, especially in totalitarian countries, where they have no worship. They are, they are uh, officially atheist nations. Who do they put their faith in? Usually the great leader. And after the leader who's deified, they put their faith into their military. They have the amazing parades. Military strength is shown because the people need to put their trust in something. The scripture says those people will be brought to their knees. We put our trust in God. Well, in uncertain times, people turn toward religion. And you say, that's on the right track. That's the good thing. But Jesus says religion's not enough. Unless you are connecting heart to heart with the one true God, unless you know Jesus personally as your Savior, going through the motions of the ceremonies and the words and the actions of human religion, they won't help. They'll give you a false sense of security. To the most religious people in his day, the Pharisees, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God. You're holding on to the traditions of men. It's a human religion. Made them feel good. Made them feel religious. But their hearts were far from God. Finally, in the secular age we live in, most people put their trust in one form or another in mankind, their fellow man. Scripture says that is the greatest of all failings. That will always disappoint you. In Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, we read, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And I ask my question, why? Why is that? Because it seems like we do. We trust people every day. We trust police, first responders, the military, the government. To live in this world is to trust in man. But God says, don't put your ultimate trust in mankind, in man's wisdom, in man's goodness. All you need to do is to open your eyes and look at the news in the evening to see the, the failing of that. Oh, we love to see goodness in the hearts of people around us. And the truth is, the image of God comes through in some people much more than others. But ultimately, our trust cannot be in mankind. One reason, Scripture says, is that we're mortal. We're temporary. We don't last. For instance, in Psalm 49, it says, this is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings like sheep they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them the upright will rule over them in the morning their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions you're here today and you're gone tomorrow don't put your trust in the temporary but in the eternal one the one who in there is no change He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we do live in a post-truth age. We put our trust in one another alone. The book of Jeremiah is bluntly honest about us. 
Jeremiah talking about God's people, God's own covenant people said that in his age there was nobody who held to truth, that everybody played the game. They all deceived one another. Jeremiah says this in chapter 9, Beware of your friends. Do not trust your brothers. For every brother is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. Friends deceive friend. No one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. That could be describing the age we live in. The internet, social media. It's all a house of cards built on lies. And nobody, nobody acknowledges God, the ultimate source of truth. Well, friends, that's the only place to have a secure foundation, to be able to entrust yourself safely, and that's into the arms of God. In God we trust. That's written still on all the money in the United States. But we know as a nation, that nation does not trust in God. The people don't trust in God. In fact, the people trust far more in the coin or the paper money on which that phrase is written than they do in God himself. But we want to be people who do trust and entrust ourselves to God. Why? Because he alone is trustworthy. He alone is worthy of our love, our worship, our faith. Through him, we have that hope. As we are people who have trust in God, our interior life flourishes. We have a, an outlook on life that sees the world and its struggles, but knows that there is a God who loves us and will bring his good purpose about for all mankind. How can we trust in this trustworthy God? First, we trust, as Pastor Dave shared last week, the essential ingredient, love. Because God himself, that is his nature. God is love. Psalm 13 puts it so beautifully, so brief, but beautiful. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. God's love, unlike ours, doesn't grow and wane. It's steady. It's eternal. It's full and beautiful. We trust in the love of God. Nothing in this world, as hard as it can be, as rough as it is, nothing will ever separate us from God's love. I love the fact the Apostle Paul speaks of such confidence as he's entrusted himself into God's hands. I'll begin reading a verse earlier than what's on the screen from Romans chapter 8. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. You may feel today like, my life's not where it should be. I, I think I've let God down one time too many. I think he's passed on, he's left me behind. Brother and sister, nothing will separate you from the love of God. He is the father awaiting the prodigal with arms open wide to celebrate our homecoming. Turn your heart toward home. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
Now, and we know about God's love because he's given it to us and shared it with us in his word, the Bible. Without the Bible, we would not know this of God. He's revealed himself to us. The word of God, for instance, we read in Titus chapter 1, he must hold firmly, he's speaking of leaders in the church, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. We have the truth. It's sound. It's whole. It's trustworthy. Psalm 19.7, speaking of God's word, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And that's what we need. We need God's wisdom. We need God's truth. It builds us, encourages us. And one of the things it does When you're in the Word of God, it'll guide you. It'll lead you. In an age of uncertainty, you won't be left uncertain. You will have guidance. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, many people memorize it as children. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight. God will guide. His Word Metaphors in Scripture, it's a lamp for your feet, a light for your path. It guides you through the twists and turns of this life. And finally, you can trust God's promises. He makes so many. His promises are new every day. If I encourage you one thing, in being regular in your reading of God's Word and in your devotional life, Focus on his promises. They're new every day, and they'll strengthen you as you entrust yourself to the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. As we come to the communion table today, we remember the setting of that time. Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, preparing them for what they would go through the next day as Jesus would be betrayed, put in a kangaroo court, a trial, handed over to the cross and die a terrible death on the cross in our place. One of the things that he shared with them was a promise that they didn't need to be afraid, just trust in him. When you entrust yourself to Jesus, anxiety and fear, they find no place in us. Jesus, seeing the fear in their eyes, called them to trust. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Then he continues, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our promise of eternal life through him. And what he did for us as he took your sin and mine and he paid it in its fullness as he died for us on the cross. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now with that old song. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Friends, at this point in our service, as we come to the communion table, 
Let's pray quietly for a moment. Scripture says, don't treat the elements in an unworthy manner. Don't have any outstanding business with God. If you know of any sin that you need to confess, do so in this quiet time. For he is faithful and just, will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then we celebrate his love, his trustworthiness at the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We come to the table at your invitation. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. So, Father, we come today to remember our Lord Jesus in whom we put our trust, whom we put our faith. Lord, for we know he is a trustworthy Savior. We thank you, Lord, for his love that was shown in its fullness on the cross as he gave himself to pay the price for mankind's sin. We celebrate that, celebrate that today as we remember it. And Lord, in this time of remembrance, may you renew us to be more like Jesus as we go out into the world to share his good news and his love. We pray this in his name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This time I'll ask Pastor Dave to give thanks for the bread, which is a symbol of the body of Christ. Lord Jesus, we just want to stop and thank you. We willingly went to the cross and your body be crucified for us, broken for us. God, now we thank you for the symbol, the bread, just of remembrance of that gift to us, your body be, be broken for us. And so, God, we thank you for that. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.
Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that the trust of the disciples was broken by Judas, on that night Jesus took bread. When he had taken bread, he broke it and prayed. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After that, Jesus took the cup, which is the symbol of his blood shed for us. I'll ask Marlon to give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, as we take this cup, I pray that uh, we will not take it lightly and that we will fully grasp the depth of your sacrifice for us. So we thank you for our Savior, Jesus, dying on the cross so that we may be uh, cleansed of our sin. And so we thank you for this reminder. Amen.
In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Friends, as we close the service, I just want to invite everybody, we'll close in prayer and then remain seated because we have an important, important uh, bit of church business that needs to take place. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the worship service today. Thank you for the worship team and each one in the pew who has participated, Lord, through hearing your word in their heart and responding to it in faith at the Lord's Supper. Lord, thank you for that and bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3.1 Ten years ago, God brought me to Trochu Baptist Church. I had told the search committee that I was not looking for a job, but rather a family to be a part of. During the weekend that I candidated here, the idea of this church being a family that I could be a part of was very evident. This, beca- this idea became even more real when I was ex- asked to accept the call to be associate pastor of youth ministries here at Troshu. Through my time he- here, I have always desired to serve my, to the best of my abilities in whatever I was asked to do. Our church has allowed me to serve in our community and in school, to serve other youth pastors, and to help train new youth pastors. In my time here, God gave me a vision to connect the youth of our community into our church. And during that, this time, I saw how it, you as a church supported me in that. It was evident through our youth group when we did Taco in a Bag during COVID and finally through the expansion of our youth room in which many of our community youth come through daily. I've been so thankful to be a part of this local expression of of the Church of Jesus. I've been so thankful that you've cared about me, my family, and thankful that you've cared about the youth of our community. Several months ago, I began to inquire about having a review done on myself to look at whether I still have the skill set that the Church requires to grow. In January, that review process began with several people from the congregation being given a survey of questions on what they saw in me. As well, I was given a self-review to fill out. This review was done in conjunction with the ABA and our church leadership and was completed and tabulated at the end of March. The results reviewed with me and show that my skill set is no longer one that fits the best for our church. As I have said before, my desire has always been to serve the church to the best of my abilities. 
the leadership team and my 